Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite areas of the world to visit, Southeast Asia. And my guest today runs an entire resource dedicated to traveling in that area. So you're going to get tips like how to get off the banana pancake trail. <laughs> if you haven't heard of that, you'll have to stick around. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about. She also shares loads of tips on travel through that region of the world. And she shares her story starting a magazine. Yes, a good old-fashioned paper magazine for other travelers while she was going through that area early on in her travels and so much more. Plenty of juicy travel nuggets coming your way. Plus, I'll share a couple of my favorite memories from Southeast Asia. Man, I miss that part of the world. Got to get back there soon. Stick around for that. And a shout out to one of you beautiful souls in the Zero to Travel listening community. It's all happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for spending a little time to allow me the privilege of bringing a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I know you desire travel because you're listening to this show. We're all travel junkies here. Whether you've been to one country or 40 countries or zero countries, you got it in your bones. It's in your bones. And that reminds me of something. Actually, I just watched Springsteen on Broadway. Bruce Springsteen had a one-man show on Broadway. He was singing songs and telling stories in between. Fascinating and really incredible guy and program. It's, it's on Netflix right now. That's where I watched it. And he shared something really cool at the end. By the way, if you're not a Springsteen fan, I'm not the hugest Springsteen fan, but when you hear these songs stripped down and the stories he tells... And I really connect with musicians uh, just because I love music. And also, I understand their lifestyle a bit, having lived on the road for so long and actually working on a music tour. And I can relate to what it's like and at least have some insight into that life on the road. So 
travel influences music so much, I think, more than we even think. Because if you think about it, artists, to make a living, they have to tour, and therefore they're traveling. So there's no way that travel is not injected into music everywhere, right? And one thing he shared at the end, he was just sharing his gratitude for his fans and allowing him to get purpose in his life. This was his purpose to share these stories through songs and hoping that that could help people in good times and bad and all that stuff. He said it much more eloquently than I am. But when he wrapped it up, one thing he said really stuck with me. He said, so I hope I've been a good traveling companion for you. I thought that was beautiful because haven't we all traveled with music and really I never thought of it that way where, Hey, this, this artist, this thing that this person created, this art that they created is coming with me and it's helping to enhance my experience or define it or just be a part of it in some way. I love music. It's a huge part of my life. I have music going pretty much 24 seven. So I, I don't know. I just thought that was beautiful. And I, I thought the same thing, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I know get, get emails from people there listening to it in their car on their way to work or whatever i hope i'm a good traveling companion for you every once in a while too that's a hope anyway so just wanted to say thanks for being a part of this community for taking time to listen to this show it means so much to me and for everybody that's reached out i appreciate it. you can get in touch anytime jason at zero to travel.com is my email address we got an awesome show today southeast asia is such an amazing part of the world for so many reasons too many to list here, but we're going to talk about a lot of them in today's show and give you some tips and all that good stuff. I'm going to leave you with a quote on the other side as well, plus a few experiences. I'll highlight a couple experiences I had in Southeast Asia that have really lived with me over the years, and I miss that area of the world. I got to get back there, and this podcast certainly gave me the wanderlust to get back there, and I'm sure it's going to do the same for you. Before we get into the interview, quick thanks to Pimsler for supporting today's show. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy is the link you need to access the special offer from Pimsler, which is the best way to learn a language on the go. They have audio courses for pretty much any language you want to learn, and you start speaking right away. I've used the Pimsler uh, audio courses for a long time. I've been a customer of theirs, and now I'm honored to partner with them and to give the special offer to you. They have a seven-day free trial for their monthly subscription service where you can access all of the lessons in any language for a low monthly fee. Instead of having to buy you know, hundreds of dollars worth of language lessons, now you can just pay the, the low monthly fee and get all of them and just roll through them as quickly as you can. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy will take you to that offer. If you're based in the States, you get a seven-day free trial so you can check it out. If you're outside of the States, that link will still take you to check out some of their other courses and things they have. This is the same language learning method used by Homeland Security and big organizations like the FBI. It's no joke. It works. Check them out. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy. And if you go through that link and end up getting anything with them, you'll also be supporting my work and my show because I am partnered with them as an affiliate. So thank you so very much for that. Now, without further ado... Let's slip and slide into today's interview, and I'll see you on the other side. My guest today created the very first 
print magazine, yes, print magazine for backpackers in Asia, and since then has built a huge community and resource to help travelers travel around that region. You can find her work at southeastasiabackpacker.com. Today, we're going to discover the top experiences not to be missed, answer some practical logistical questions around traveling through Southeast Asia, how to get off the banana pancake trail, if you don't know what that is, tune in, and much more. Nikki Scott, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Great to be here. <laughs> this one's been a long time coming. Thank you so much. And it's uh, as at the time of this recording anyway, winter is setting in here in Norway. There are no leaves on the trees. So I'm excited to kind of take a virtual trip into my mind to Southeast Asia with you today. <laughs> All right. A print magazine? I can barely publish a blog article while I'm traveling. Tell me about this print magazine situation. When did this all go down? Yeah, it was um, it was a lot of work. Yeah, we don't actually print the magazine anymore, but I think started it about ten years ago. So I set off backpacking to Southeast Asia, um, and had this idea to create a magazine along the way. Back in the day, like I, you know, barely knew how to send an email. I was so untechnical. Um, didn't know what Twitter was, like really just really basic sort of technical. Um, and yeah, my idea was a print magazine that people could pick up in hostels and, you know, read stories from fellow travelers and get little tips on the road. Because kind of, as you mentioned, the banana pancake trail, it does follow a similar route. And, you know, you tend to meet up with travelers along the way and you can share tips about the next place. So I wanted to put all this in a, in a magazine. Um, so it became, um, it became popular in the region we printed for like six years and putting it together was a lot of work. It started off as kind of a, a flimsy 30 page sort of, uh, comic book kind of thing. And, um, then as it sort of got a bit more popular, it grew and we used to get businesses to advertise in it to sort of sponsor the, the cost of the print. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of work. It came out every two months and, Around deadline time, it was like a week of staying up till 4 a.m. and getting getting the whole magazine out. And as sort of more people, we used to have to get the ads, you know, all styled and approved and then all the articles approved. And, yeah, it was uh, it was tough. It's easier now. We've just got the website for sure. <laughs> you know, it was amazing and it was such an experience because I'd never done anything like that before. Like, um, And it was really nice to have something tangible. So I, I do miss that. And, like... A lot, we get lots of comments in our Facebook group now saying, oh, I found like an old copy of the magazine in a hostel and I remember reading it on the train and it's, there's something a little bit different about it than, than a blog post. So yeah, I do miss those days, but yeah, not enough to go back to, <laughs> to print it. <laughs> maybe like a, an annual, maybe, maybe one a year would be okay. But <laughs> There you go. Maybe that new annual issue is going to be born right here on this podcast. That's exciting. We have to rewind a little bit. Why... Did you take off to travel in Southeast Asia in the first place? Had you been backpacking somewhere before? Was this your first backpacking trip? Where was your life the week or two or month or two before this whole excursion? So um, I was working in a job in Manchester in the north of England. Is that where you're from? I'm from near there, yeah. So a a town, yeah. Um, Manchester United, that's the famous soccer team, right? Yeah, that's what everyone says, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, 
So yeah, beautiful tropical, sunny Manchester. Um, <laughs> and I, I sort of lasted about a year and a half in the real world of work. So I graduated from university and then started a job in advertising. Thought it was going to be really glamorous. Um, and yeah, kind of did the nine to five for a year and a half and thought, I don't want this. I'm going backpacking. So I set off on a yeah solo adventure to Southeast, well, to Asia. Started off in Nepal. I think I chose Nepal because I, I love mountains and hiking. And wait, I hold on. Wait, wait, did you know anybody that had traveled by themselves like that before? Is it is it in the culture in England to kind of go backpacking? I feel like it is more so than in the States. I think so, yeah. Like taking a gap year is, right. is quite a popular thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, some people do it sort of before university, like when you're 18, which I felt I would have been a bit too naive to do it at that point. So I was 23. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a few people at work and a few friends I'd known who had done trips, um, kind of mostly with their partners and uh, a friend. So not so much on their own, but I did, um, when I in Nepal, I actually booked myself a, a group trek. So I had a few days on my own in Kathmandu and then I'd booked myself on like a, it was an Annapurna sanctuary trek for 10 days. So it was a really nice way to kind of have the solo start but then know that I had the comfort of a group coming up so and they were all kind of um they were a bit older than me so I was like oh young sort of naive traveler and they were a little bit more like you know have you got altitude sickness pills and let's be a bit more kind of grounded so it was nice to have that kind of like almost family atmosphere at the beginning of my trip um and then from from then on I just sort of met so many people and well in Southeast Asia it's it's hard not to meet people you're just so if you stay in hostels and you're getting buses you can you come into contact with people who are doing a similar thing all the time um so yeah then I was traveling for five months around Southeast Asia um and then again had that feeling I don't want to go back I don't want to go back to the real world (laughs) I I had a flight booked to Australia to sort of Right. This is a kind of a a stage where I'm going to get a job and maybe work for a year in Australia. Um, But I put that back, put it back again and then ended up staying in Asia and living in Thailand for five years after that. Living in Thailand for five years. Yeah. 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 With trips around kind of thing. But I was based in I lived six months in Bangkok, six months in Koh Phangan. The full moon party island, okay, but yeah. it's like the other side of it, which is a bit more hippie. Um, and then three years I was in Chiang Mai and then sort of various other places along the way. I was in KL for a couple of months. And, and this was Chiang Mai sort of before the digital nomad hub Chiang Mai, well, before it became... It, yeah, was it was it kind of starting just starting to, off yeah, then. Okay. Yeah. So Bangkok was a bit of a hub at that time. Um I think I remember meeting bloggers, but at that time, I, I didn't really even know what a blogger was. I was kind of like, people are making a living out of this. Like, it was, I was so new to all of this. Um, and I remember meeting sort of uh, Legal Nomads was in Bangkok at that time and uh, Cody from uh, Thrilling Heroics. And there was um, a guy who, uh, I can't remember his name. He was really good at languages. Um, Benny Lewis. Benny- that's yeah. it, yeah. So there was a couple of people hanging around at that time. It seemed like a bit of a hub for it. And I'd meet all these people, and then, like, years on, I was like, oh, my God, they were... Uh, it's a small you know. world. Yeah. And then Chiang Mai was just starting up, but it's not like it is now. Like, you can't walk down the streets in Chiang Mai for seeing co-working space, co-working space, co-working mm. space. So. Yeah, it's wild. I love the tip on um, when you're starting off, especially what would 
sounds like it was your first solo adventure like this to have that group trip kind of lined up if you're going to do something like you were doing a trek if you're not totally comfortable with just you know being out on your own in the abyss for weeks on end maybe having a little group activity to do early on kind of ease your way in all right so but before you left you mentioned this idea for the magazine you already have. I'm just wondering, because you could have gone anywhere in the world, right? You had a backpack. You knew you were going to go somewhere. Why did you choose Southeast Asia? Well, I think it's um, I think it's kind of a good place to start. So um, it, for sort of new backpackers, it's, it's kind of easy to, you know, ease your way in. The hostels are sociable, and it's kind of not as, I think, I had an urge to go to South America, but I'd heard that might, might be a little bit more dangerous. So I have to have my wits about me more there. And I think Southeast, Southeast Asia is just, in terms of safety um, and easing my way in, a good, a good place to start. So I think I, I went with that. It sounds like you said you did have the idea for the magazine before you left, but why were you driven in that way? Why weren't you just like, hey, I'm just going to you know, go around and... How did you even know you were going to like it enough to want to start a magazine? You know what I mean? Well, like, I had the idea whilst I was traveling. Okay, okay, so you got I it. I had while the idea for the magazine then. Yeah, got I think it. I I had the idea before I went away that I wanted to do something. I wanted to kind of have an adventurous life and make my travels into something more. I knew I didn't want to go back to sort of a conventional life in. in That's Manchester. the thing I was looking for <laughs> because there's something around that intention of. I think it can be a tough decision in in sort of real time if you're traveling and, and you're thinking about, okay, my trip's coming to an end. You have your plane ticket back home or whatever, and, and, and you're thinking, okay, well, I guess it's time to go back, but, but you kind of like, well, I don't really have to, and maybe I could keep this thing going. That could be a struggle, I know, for, for some people, you know, particularly like logistically for just money, how are you going to keep earning money so you can travel, but also I think just from a what am I going to do with my life type standpoint, you know, but rather than having a specific goal, I mean, I like the thought of just saying, Hey, my goal is to have an adventurous life. Like that's the goal, right? That can be the goal. So that's kind of makes the decision a lot easier to make. Right. Yeah. I I think you don't need to know what it is because you don't know what's going to happen yet. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know where you're going to love. So if you leave home with the idea that I'm going to do this, then the, you know, the environment might not be right for it. And you need to just be open to opportunities that happen along the way. And I think, I think uh, I remember at the beginning of the show, how how am I going to make this last? What am I going to do? Am I going to teach English? Am I going to go here? And it's like, if I wouldn't have just let that unfold, then I would have never ended up doing what I'm doing today. So if, if someone's interested in kind of making travel their lifestyle, I say, you know, take a few months, sit back, breathe everything in, see what's, see what, you know, what opportunity is available. How did you learn to embrace that faith, the having that faith? I'm not talking about religious faith, but having that faith that uh, things will work out. You know, things are going to be okay if I just keep myself open to these opportunities. Was that ever a struggle for you? I think sort of travel kind of teaches you that. Um, I think at the beginning, like, no, I wasn't really, I didn't have faith. There was definitely some panic there about how am I going to, how am I going to do this? Um, But yeah, kind of, you know, when you are traveling, it's, there's almost like you talk about religious faith and I'm I'm not going to get into any of that, but there are, you know, interesting occurrences. You meet people that are like, oh, that's, fancy meeting them and you know there's lots of sort of things that slot in that sort of lead you on a on a path whatever that may be but serendipity 
maybe a lot yeah. of serendipity. I mean, lots, lots of chances along the way. You think, God, if I never would have met that person who told me about this, I never would have looked into this. And if you look at all the connections, yeah, you can start getting all spooked out. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, you just keep, keep, keep an open mind. I think try to. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then I mean, there's always, you know, there's always something to fall back on whilst, you know, if, if I hadn't have had the idea for the magazine, I was looking into teaching English at the time to sort of give me more time and to think about what I wanted to do. And there's, there's always an opportunity somewhere if you keep, keep looking for them. Yeah. And like you said, if it's, if you're experiencing that stuff on the ground, those serendipitous moments or coincidences or whatever you want to call them, it depends on everybody's personal philosophy and how they see those things, I guess. I believe all those kind of th- interactions and things happen somehow for a reason in some way. And, you know, that's the universe or whatever you want to call it. That happens. And then you learn, oh, okay, oh, this does happen. These aren't just stories. Like I'm out on the road and this is happening to me, you know? Yeah. But of course, I think you also have to be open to, to that mm. being a thing. How did you keep it going for so long? Because starting your own business is, is a whole other thing. Were you ever running out of money at a certain point? Uh, I think a big question for a lot of people is always, well, how do I keep traveling? And of course, you have a lot of different options. The, you know, starting a business that you, you can run, you can do that while you're traveling, or you can do that before you leave. You can get travel jobs. You know, like you said, teaching English is all these types of things. But a lot of times people take off on these trips and decide they want to be on them. And then you kind of have to figure it out. So how were you figuring out? Can you share some of the things you did? Was it just income from the magazine or did you do other things along the way too? Um, so before I went traveling, I'd, I'd saved up, uh, probably about 5,000 pound in order to, to keep me going for like six months. It's a modest Um, budget. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Rock on. Um, That's good. Yeah. I, I can't remember whether it was that at the time, but yeah, it was, um, I, I sort of finished my travels and I was like, where well, you're up to the stage where you're going to the cash machine and you're like, please let it give me some money. Please let it give me some money. Um, so yeah, it kind of, like I got to the end. It was pretty much at the, the point where it was like, right, I'm going to have to go home and get a job. I'm going to have to do something here. Um, but yeah, kind of an addition to the story, which a lot of people, um, wouldn't have had the same sort of resources I had was my dad was living in Thailand at the time. Oh, really? Okay. So um, I'd gone backpacking for six months around Southeast Asia and completely broke at the end. It was like, I'll, I'll go and stay with my dad for, <laughs> for a month. And so while I was building the magazine, I, was, I stayed with him. What's he do- what was he doing down there? He'd retired. This is a whole other story, Jason. Okay. So I don't know how much how much you want to go into this, but um, <laughs> this yeah, runs in he, the family, I guess, huh? Get to Southeast well, Asia, yeah, hang out for a yeah, long time. Yeah, kind of. My mum's yeah, my mum's has lived in Ireland and France, and here my dad sort of did a few big travels, and then he ended up. He was a golfer, and he ended up living like in a golf area of Thailand, and uh, he'd been living there for like three years. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of nice on the way I'd go off on my backpacks. And then if I got ill, I'd go and, oh, right. dad. <laughs> right. So the, the tip there is make sure you bring a family member and stick, stick them somewhere in Thailand or get them to move there or wherever. Yeah, yeah any, <laughs> any kind of family member somewhere where you can go and <laughs> sleep on their couch. So, yeah, took, completely took over my dad's house, turned it into the headquarters for the magazine. But <laughs> I stayed with my dad until I was sort of earning enough money with the magazine. And then, yeah, as soon as I could, I got out to, uh, I rented a, an apartment in Bangkok. So 
so found a, a housemate online and then went to went to live in Bangkok there. It but sounds there was, overwhelming it's... to me to start a magazine and to do it in another country with you know multiple countries that you're covering and then get advertised. I mean, were you just walking the streets talking to potential advertisers and you know traveling different places to to have those meetings i mean how were you did you start a business in thailand how did you do all this <laughs> pretty much walking the streets exactly how okay. you say yeah, yeah. i look i look back now like 10 years later and think oh my god i can't believe how i i just like lived and breathed it it was kind of you know every single day we'd go and try and get adverts i'd go to uh like a, a backpacker hub like the Khao San Road or Koh Tao, Koh Panyan, and just walk up and down, speak to like dive schools, tell them about my idea, ask them to sponsor it, speak to hostels. And it was, yeah, all of the time, like nonstop trying to, trying to get this thing going. And then would you ship the magazines to these places when they were printed or? Yeah. So okay. we had, um, and it was free, right? They were free for backpackers. It, okay. it was a free copy. Yeah. So people could pick it up in hostels. Um, it was printed in Bangkok. And then at the very beginning, literally I would get a huge delivery in a pickup truck to my dad's house at the beginning and then sort them all out, put them in envelopes, send them off to all the different places. Um, some of them would literally, uh, because these little islands, you, you couldn't, like the post wasn't very good and it would have been really expensive to send these copies. So they used to go on a bus, then got on a long tail boat and then get picked up by someone's brother's friend. Like it was unbelievable the way this worked like, like this big massive network of like you know the magazines were backpacking themselves around and crossing borders and stuff and some people would say oh I picked up your magazine in uh, Singapore or Australia I'm like we don't even deliver there so someone must have passed them along so it was uh, such an adventure <laughs> I really admire what you did with this magazine and doing it at a pretty young age I would say and on the ground and you know we talk about digital nomads and this is the the classic analog hustle, right? I mean, you're, <laughs> exactly. this is, this is legit. And, um, how did you feel when you held the first copy in your hand? Um, I literally cried literally. Um, I think mainly out of tiredness because I've been up <laughs> for the past few weeks, like checking every single spelling. Cause that's the thing with, with print. That's the thing that I kind of don't miss is, you know, you make a mistake on a blog post, which I do every single it. time. It's fine, isn't it? But if you make a mistake in a magazine, and especially, you know, it could be quite a serious one. Um, yeah, it's you've got, you know, 20,000 copies printed or whatever, and they're all out. And it's like, no. So, yeah, I used to proofread so much. Um, but, yeah, I remember I went to, to Khao San Road, the main backpacker place, and actually handed them out to backpackers. Um, and I was so nervous because I was, you know, I hadn't really had anyone read any of my stuff before. And looking back at the magazine now, it's so cheesy. It's so like the, the first introduction I wrote, so kind of wide eyed. Like now I kind of write a bit more, bit more cynical and a bit more kind of like I'm older now. So I'm not so like, oh, wide eyed about everything. Um, but yeah, I was so nervous. I was thinking, are people going to laugh at my stories? Are they going to think it's cool? Or, um, but yeah, it was, it, it was worth it. <laughs> That's so great. What did the whole experience of starting this magazine and doing all of this on the ground, all the logistics involved and having to walk into places and just meet with strangers and all the things you had to do to make this thing a reality. And, and how long was it running for? About five years, did you say? 
Yeah, five years. Um, so we've rented 30, 30 copies. Yeah. Okay. And it was profitable? You made money off of it? Yeah, always made enough to, you know, print the next one for me to live. Like I never made any big savings out of it. Um, but yeah, I was, I mean, I was living in Southeast Asia. I had a nice, nice apartment and I was making money off it at the time. Yeah. What did this experience teach you about yourself? I, I almost look back on that person as somebody different. It's kind of, it, it, you know, I'd like, like the 23 year old me, I had so much drive. I was so, you know, no one was going to stop me doing this. And I think now I'm kind of a bit more, I don't know, a bit more sensitive. I'm a bit more likely to be like, Oh, is that going to be too much hard work? And like back then it was kind of, I, I was surprised at how much like I kept going with it. Like if I was knocked back, I'd just, keep because I was really believed in it so much I was like no this is going to be a success I want this um sheer willpower yeah yeah I think maybe you know you uh, you're stronger than you are maybe I was what it taught me taught me it's like you if you want something you you can do it and if you if you look at starting a business or you look at something oh I don't don't think I can deal with that it's like maybe think yeah you can you know in the moment you can you can do these things so so yeah, it was a it was an interesting experience. It was a good experience. Don't want to do it all over again. I'm not gonna <laughs> do that in Europe, but <laughs> but right. the world has moved on now. It's com- I don't even know whether it would be successful now in the same way. But don't you appreciate having like a book in your hand or a magazine? I do, yeah, I do. I don't know whether the the 19 year old does. I don't know whether it's. And I'm not sure. I'm not like I'm not in contact so much with the very young backpacker anymore. But um, I think there's something. I think there's something still about a, a printed book or a printed magazine that that you want to hold on to. It's not a throwaway. It's kind of like you you know sit with a cup of tea or a coffee and read through it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much it's changing. Okay, tips on Southeast Asia because I'm sure you have a ton. I, I use the word tips lightly, I guess because. I think we're going to dig into it a little bit more than just generic tips. You spent so much time there. You wrote and published a magazine about the entire region. Uh, we talked about the Banana Pancake Trail, which is essentially, it's not an actual trail with a list of destinations, but it's, a, it's sort of a general idea about places in Southeast Asia that are frequently visited by Westerners, essentially, right? So there are a lot of facilities that cater to Western tourists um, is sort of the general idea. We're going to get into that because I want to hear about some of the highlights from that, but also some tips on how to get off that in some places that you see that are up and coming. Uh, But first, we should talk about some of the logistics, health and safety, and when to go. If you just want to share some of your experience around that stuff, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in terms of health and safety, get vaccines before you go. I see so many people saying, um, oh, yeah, you'd be fine. You don't need to get vaccines. Just take paracetamol. It's like, no, no. Get all your vaccines done before you travel. Right. Um, Which ones? In- do you know offhand or just go to... I have a link to the CDC on my website. That's you know an American organization mm. for vaccines they recommend. But do you We've have- got a specific article on the website about the... Okay. the- ones that you you need Great. hepatitis uh rabies there's a bit of a controversial one because it, you know all the vaccine does is give you more time to see a doctor but i just think with these things like you i mean southeast asia is a very safe place to travel and mostly most trips like 
99.9% of trips, nothing goes wrong, but you just want to be covered in every way you can in case like, you know, getting travel insurance and just, just making sure that you're, you know, you're not gonna, if the a crazy situation happens that, that you're covered. Um, and yeah, I mean, like Thailand is one of the safest countries, all of Southeast Asia. It's, it's really safe to travel. It's like compared to even, you know, compared to Europe, like crime, it's, uh, it's a, you feel safer in the middle of Bangkok, 4am in the middle of the night than you would in Manchester for sure. Just don't do anything stupid. And like looking back at when I was 23, I, you know, I used to get drunk and uh, it definitely wouldn't be the same, <laughs> wouldn't be the same. And if it was Walk like, home by yourself in a dark water. alley. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd look back and be like, you shouldn't have done that. You right. shouldn't, you know, don't do stupid things. Um, but you know, it's, you can't, don't worry too much, like go and have a great time. And I think, I think people often are scared of talking to strangers and scared of like, you know, if, if locals invite you to a place and, or, you know, you meet people like being open-minded and not being scared to, Oh, I can't talk to them. They're going to scam me. And this kind of thing. Like, no, like most people are not going to scam you. You're going to be fine. So yeah, don't, don't be too cautious as well. Yeah. I don't know that that was very good safety advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was, you know, the vaccine stuff and stuff on the website. <laughs> do you take, did you take malaria pills when you were there? The first time I went traveling, I took them and then realized, took them for two months, had crazy nightmares and weird sort of had a skin rash and thought, no, I don't think these are very good. Nobody else was taking them. And then ever since I've traveled, I've never taken them since. Um, we went to Myanmar on our last trip and we were planning on going down to South Myanmar, which is quite sort of unexplored. And it was during the rainy season and on the malaria map, this was kind of like a red zone. And I was like, nah, okay. Like, so there are parts of Southeast Asia if you do head off the beaten track where you should take them. Um, and we decided not to go at that point because we kind of arrived in central Myanmar and we said, oh, we're thinking of going traveling down south. And the locals are like, are you crazy? It's really rainy season. When we say rainy season, it's like floods and like, just don't go. So, so yeah, finding out information on the ground is, is also a, another good tip, I think. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for the tips on the malaria pills. I think that's a debate for a lot of people. And of course you can take other precautions wearing long sleeve shirts during times that mosquitoes are out and, you know, yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned monsoon season. Are there specific times to be traveling around Southeast Asia that you prefer, whether it's a shoulder season or is the monsoon season you know, for example, is that something that you would say, hey, it's not as bad as you would think here. You should go here because there's way less people. Do you have any tips like that? Yeah, I would definitely say that. So, of course, it depends where you are because some places get the monsoon season really, really hard. So you would have to have to check that and like boats stop running to certain places and, and things like that. Um, but, for example, in most of Thailand, in fact, I would say all of Thailand, monsoon season is one of the best times to visit in my opinion like you can literally get 50% off hotels and guest houses there are less crowds and the scenery you know like it's so lush and beautiful because of the rain and the rice fields and um and yeah you're gonna get wet like (laughs) if you you hire a motorbike have a poncho like all the locals do (laughs) and just buy a one euro poncho from the supermarket um 
but yeah, there's something really beautiful about the rainy season. And it, in most of Southeast Asia, it's, it's kind of the mornings are sunny and bright and then that you have downpours in the afternoon. Um, and it's kind of November, December, January, February is the dry season in most of Southeast Asia. So this is kind of the high season. Um, and then July, August, uh, rainy season. So in between those periods, also good times to visit. Um, but then like Christmas, New Year, like we're coming up to now, crazy in some parts, you know, you've got to really book ahead and, and it can be some of the, the worst times to visit. And then you have kind of microclimates in certain places. So you'll have a small little, so on the Gulf coast of Thailand, um, Koh Phangan, Koh Tao, they have a rainy season in November, which is different than everyone else, different than all the other places. So yeah, it kind of kind of depends. But I'd say if, if you really want to go somewhere and you're like, oh, I don't want to go, I can't go because it's rainy season. Yeah, don't don't let it put you off. Have a have a look if it's really serious. You know, if they've got flood issues and stuff, maybe miss it. Um, but on the whole, uh, rainy season's beautiful, beautiful time, especially for a budget backpacker because you're going to get some great deals. The typical backpacker is moving at various paces, but they're moving around quite a bit where usually if it's like a three-month or four-month trip, the visa thing is not an issue because you're visiting enough countries and everything like that. But if you want to hang out in Southeast Asia like you did, you mentioned living there for however many years, five years or yeah. something. <laughs> what is your recommendation for people that want to spend more time in that region? They're ditching their apartment, they're going to take off, and they're just saying, hey, I'm going to commit to being in Southeast Asia for the next couple years. Do you have any advice around visas and how to work that? So in the, in the most part in Southeast Asia, you can get a visa for a regular tourist visa for one month. Um, that can be extended to another month in a lot of cases. So in Thailand, the maximum you can stay without an official visa, like a work visa or retirement visa or something is three months. So you can get a two month tourist visa and then you can extend it at an embassy while you're there. And that's three months. And then after that, you have to leave the country. So you do get lots of people living there who are, uh, they, you know, they are set up as a digital nomad and they get their two month visa, extend it one month, and then they do a border run and then they come back. So it's kind it's of, it's as simple you know, as that. You leave for a day and come back yeah, the same day leave. or do you have to spend a night? You can, if you do a border bounce, as they call it. So you literally go across the border, spend half an hour and come back. You'll just get a one month. But if you go and stay, so we did it recently. We were living in Koh Lanta in the south of Thailand, which is a really nice island. And we went to KL. We found a really cheap flight with AirAsia, like cheaper than we could have got the bus, like $20 or something. Um, and then we spent a few nights in, in Kuala Lumpur, went to the embassy, signed all the papers to get the visa, and then picked it up the next day and then went back to Thailand. But it was a great, we had a few days in Kuala Lumpur eating great food. The food's amazing right. there. Who needs um, an excuse to travel, right? That's, it's like kind of after three months, you want to you want to leave anyway. Um, and it kind of it used to be, uh, the, the authorities used to be a bit more strict on foreigners who lived there a long time doing, doing that. Um, but I think they've kind of loosened up now. And as long as you're not really, you know, taking the taking the mickey and staying for like 10 years if you want to do this for like six months and it, it's it's pretty fine a lot a lot of people do it and then you when I ran the business there um I had a work visa so one I had a yearly visa that I just had to renew so I didn't have to do any any border bounces or anything at that time was that hard to get it's a lot more official yeah you have to 
set up the proper business and, you know, you've got to be paying all the taxes there. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. I wouldn't recommend it for someone who just wants to go there for six months, for example. And for most of the countries, does the border bounce or just the border run work? Yeah. Yeah. Vietnam is a similar situation. Um, I've never really done it in Cambodia and Laos, but I'm, I think Cambodia is actually one of the easiest countries to get the visa. Cause I think there's something, um, you can get a visa that means you're looking for work. And so this just means that you're kind of in, I think it's up to three years. I'll have to check that. We've got a very good visa page. So I'll have to check that on there. But yeah, I think Cambodia is one of the ones that could be an up and coming digital nomad place because of the, they're quite relaxed on the, on the visa issue. So SoutheastAsiaBackpacker.com is the resource. So as Nikki's <laughs> mentioning these things and you're looking for more information, you all can go there and check it out because you got a ton of stuff for this region. Okay. You mentioned the cheap budget airline in Air Asia. Is there some other advice you want to share around getting around Southeast Asia, whether it's buses, budget airlines that you prefer, certain common routes that you have some hot tip on that we wouldn't know unless we learned on the ground or anything like that? Yeah. So buses and trains are great in Southeast Asia. Um, you can mainly sort of book at small travel agencies while you're there. There's a website called wanttogo.asia, which is great for booking things online if you want to be sort of a bit more organized. They do charge a little commission, but I think it's like a dollar or something. And in many cases, you so if you want to if you're in Bangkok and you want to book a train to Chiang Mai, for example, you can either go to the train station and book it yourself which means getting a taxi through the traffic across town or you, you can book it online and they'll do it for you and charge you like a dollar extra. So that's, that's quite a good website. Want to go Asia. Um, want, but then, yeah, like, want, want to go one, number one, oh. two go. Oh, okay. Dot, dot Asia. Oh, okay. Got yeah, it. So that's a, that's a cool website for, for local transport. Um, and then yeah, budget airlines, air Asia is definitely the, the, one that covers the most uh, area in Southeast Asia. Thailand has a few smaller ones. Uh, Nok Air is one of them. Um, and they do kind of really handy um, flights, ferries, bus packages to the islands. So it's good to look at those because they can do like, so it'll say like from Chiang Mai to Koh Tao, and it'll, it will include your flight, your bus and your ferry for like a, a decent packaged price. So they're good to look at. Um, but yeah, we use Skyscanner to find the cheapest flights. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, there's so many, you know, you've got your buses, trains and planes are the most conventional ways to travel. And then, you know, hire a car, buy a motorbike. There's loads of other ways of getting around that will definitely allow you to see more places and get off the, like, get off the banana pancake trail. But we, I used to always, I mean, when I lived in Chiang Mai, I had a motorbike. So that was a like an old, really noisy, I used to call it the Joker, a really <laughs> noisy kind of old that a friend just gave me when she left Thailand. So, um, so motorbike is a fantastic way to get around. Um, but yeah, we hired a car uh, last time we were in Thailand with my boyfriend's parents came over. They're like in their 70s. And so we decided best not put them on the back of the <laughs> motorbikes. We'll get a, get a bit more of a comfortable vehicle. Um, and yeah, just, you know, just stopping, finding these little places along the way when you're in the car is uh, that you don't really do on buses because you stop at the 
designated tourist stop where everyone has the, you know, they have the food, then they get back on the bus. And then, but when you've got a, your a car, you've got your own, own freedom to stop wherever you want. If something's beautiful, you're like, Oh, let's stop here for an hour. So, so that's, that's an option. But be careful because as you know, the backpacking hotspots, those streets are littered with people <laughs> that are tourists walking around on crutches Walking around with giant burns on their calves because they don't know how to take motorbikes seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're a serious thing. So, but I agree. Yeah, I remember getting a motorbike in Vietnam. I think we rented it for, I don't know, a few bucks for the day or something. Yeah. And my wife and I just cruised around and went to a bunch of random places. And like you the said, the traffic in Vietnam is probably the craziest place. In yeah. Southeast. You get in those circles <laughs> and you're just, I mean, that's an adventure in itself. It's learning the rules of the road. It's kind of like the, the beeping is like, it doesn't mean get out of the way. It's like, I'm coming at you. And like, you, 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 like, you don't understand the, the rules and people just pull out and they look at you as though you've done something wrong. It's like, Oh, oh right. Like, you just, you've got to learn that you've got to, you know, you're in their country. You need to learn their rules of the road. So, <laughs> and nothing will test your faith more than crossing the street in Vietnam, your faith in humanity. Exactly. They're, they're going to stop, right? They're going to stop. They'll stop for me. They'll stop. And they do. And they, <laughs> do. they weave around you. <laughs> and they do, thankfully. <laughs> All great advice. I wanted to ask you about proof of onward travel because many people are traveling around and you want to be loosey-goosey, you want to be spontaneous, and then you show up in Southeast Asia. You're just like, hey, I'm here, and well, let's go have an adventure. And you don't have a plane ticket anywhere else, and you just plan on camping out. And then, uh-oh, you need proof of onward travel, or do you? Can you talk about this? Yeah, so we have a really in-depth article on this um, on the website because I get asked it a lot. And we have a Facebook community. There's like 5,000 people, and they're all. this is one of the most common questions. And so I thought, right, I'm going to write an in-depth article about this. But there is no like real answer kind of should you buy an onward plane ticket should you not like it just depends if you get asked or not so personally I've been refused getting on I thought oh, I'm not gonna I'm no they're not gonna ask me it'll be fine um, and then I've been refused in London to get on the plane because I didn't have a ticket out of Thailand in within 30 days and I was like well I'm just gonna get the bus it'll be fine they're like no no you need this ticket so nowadays I always just find I go on Air Asia and I find the cheapest flight out. So recently I found a flight Bangkok to Mandalay. I think it was like $15, a really cheap flight. And then I just booked it. And then, you know, maybe I'll take it. Maybe I won't. Um, but just to have something there, if you get asked, it's so, so much better. So when you arrive in Bangkok, then you're showing them, Hey, I have a plane ticket out of the country this day or whatever. Before you get on the plane. So it's in, for, in, in, for example, in London or in, in your home country, um, they ask you to, they ask you to show the the flight ticket before you get on. So you can be stopped. I remember I was going to South America and I'd so excited of going to Colombia and um, I didn't have didn't have an onward flight ticket. And in in South America the the airlines aren't as cheap. It's not like 
they don't have the equivalent of a, a EasyJet or AirAsia. And so I think I ended up buying a flight with Lan, Lan Airlines, but it was definitely over 100. Right, right there at the gate or they weren't going to let you on the plane? They wouldn't let me on the plane. I had to go and find a little, uh, find connection in a little cafe. And then I had to pay like $5 to print something out. And I was, oh, so it was like, you know, last minute kind of, why aren't I more organized? <laughs> so yeah, I run a travel website and it was like, yeah, I, I think, you know, you just want to, the boring logistics sometimes, you just kind of want to go, meh, that'll be fine. Um, but on the onward travel point, there are websites that you can rent tickets off or buy a ticket for like $10. That's all in this article. You can have a look at the different options. Personally, I've never used them. Um, but some people say that they've used it with success. Some people say they've had a, a bus ticket from a uh, like a national bus company that they've used and said, here's the ticket, I'm leaving Thailand on this date, so that could be cheaper. Um, but in, from my experience, my advice would be that you need you need something. You need something to show them. Otherwise, you're going to have potential stress at the airport. It's a crapshoot, but yeah, to be mm -hmm. guaranteed, you want to have something to show. And It's a strange one because it's like I don't really know – because it doesn't mean that you're going to leave the country and not be, <laughs> it, it's an odd one, whether I think it, and a conspiracy theory amongst the airlines to get you to buy more flights. Or something. Yeah, maybe you could be right there. <laughs> I have heard of people doctoring some stuff, some old itineraries. I've also heard of people buying fully refundable, very expensive tickets on their credit cards and then just oh, getting, okay. and getting the refund afterwards. So you could buy one of those tickets you would never buy that are, you know, it's $2,000 for this fully refundable ticket that's uh, just a simple flight, but then yeah. you just, you know, get the refund. And that that's even still a little scary, even though yeah, you know it's fully refundable. Yeah, I didn't want to try that just in like, case. Oh, just to see, see that really? amount. Yeah, if you, I had that amount to go out my bank account, it'd be... <laughs> you've got to read the fine print. Okay, I think we've covered logistics pretty well. The only big missing one is costs and... You travel around Southeast Asia for six months for 5,000 pounds. So that says a lot right there. That was some years ago. But do you want to talk about just general costs, what people are going to find on the ground in terms of, uh, say, you know, from the budget to the mid range? And if you want to give any examples, and it doesn't, I mean, this, this is a huge question. So yeah. take it in any direction you'd like. But if you just want to give a simple synopsis on general costs, that'd be great. So yeah, it's a difficult one because you can kind of, you can do Southeast Asia super, super cheap. Like you can get hostels that are $5 a night. You can eat street food, which is a dollar a meal. And you know, what, what else do you need really? Like food and board, but then you're not, you know, you're not going to experience that much. Like I'd say, you know, one of the best things to do in Asia is go diving and that's going to cost you some money. So I think when you're planning a budget, it's it's kind of like, you know, do you want to have a, another few months of like just living totally basic and not like doing any of the amazing things that are on offer there? So it's a, it's a bit of a balance. Um, like I said, hostels about five dollars for the cheapest. Uh, if you want to pay something like twelve dollars, you're gonna have a really nice hostel with a swimming pool and like you know nightly events and this kind of thing. So it, I mean, it's cheap even if you're pushing the boat out a little bit and living a really, you know, extravagant lifestyle in Southeast Asia. Um, and then like in terms of food, if you have Western food, that's going to add, add your budget up. You're going to pay 
$10 for a meal instead of one or two. And Southeast Asia is amazing for street food. So definitely save your budget that way. Um, but I'd say budget for some activities and, you know, there's some things that cost like go rock climbing, go diving, go trekking, like do these things that are definitely going to be sort of once in a lifetime things. Don't just, you know, and then alcohol. That's another massive thing that backpackers sort of waste their budget on beer. Um, go, yeah, don't, don't drink as much and, <laughs> and then do more things. But sometimes it can be even that can be so cheap, like the, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but the, the Bia Hoi. Yeah, in, in uh, Vietnam. In Vietnam, the fresh cheap. beer where they just have these little makeshift bars they set up with plastic tables and stools and you're paying, I think, 50 cents some beer and you're sitting with a bunch of locals and it's just yeah. a really awesome experience. It's a cool experience. It's yeah, sure. just great. When my wife and I, the last time we went to Cambodia and Vietnam and we decided to... We were going to do more. Well, we did some budget stuff, but we also did some more like mid-range couple type stuff for accommodations yeah. because like you said, you can pay the $12 hostel and we could both get a dorm room or we could pay an extra, say, six bucks and spend, yeah, 30, 35 bucks a night. Mm -hmm. And then you're getting into these hotels where I just remember one we went to in, in Vietnam. I can't remember the name of the town right off my head. Hue, I think. And yeah. we walked in. Every time we walked in, you know, you're, it's just like dripping with sweat. It's so hot. We're paying about 30 bucks for the room. We walk in. We get there after the, like an overnight bus that was insane. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> they have <laughs> – there's this nice music playing. And they have these cold rags you can put on your head. And they're giving you these ice-cold drinks, like just flowing with ice. Every time you walk in, you can have an ice-cold drink, whatever you want. And it's just so nice. We go up to our room and there's there were, I think, rose petals on the bed. And just like, well, this is 30 bucks a night. This is incredible. And if you break it down per person, it's like 15 bucks a person. Yeah. So that's the thing. If you And then I bet you have, there'll be a nice breakfast buffet included and all these things that, I mean, like I was reading your bio before and talking about how your travel style changes. And it's like for, you know, for a, a early 20s backpacker maybe they don't want the experience of the you know this kind of cold drinks and rose petals on the bed they want a party dorm room they want to pay like they pay 20 dollars for this experience but like your travel style changes and what you want and what you'll pay for you know it, it depends how old you are what sort of life situation you're in and yeah like last time I was traveling with my boyfriend it's like yeah definitely like I don't want to go and stay in the the really grotty backpacker dorms and save five dollars it's like I've de I've done that and I'm fine with that now like I've definitely done that experience enough to know so what have it's I. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and you're just like I, I hope that there aren't bed bugs here please let there not be bed bugs yeah. here <laughs> it becomes a point where it's like yeah it's, it's not worth it it's not worth it <laughs> or like a 27 hour bus journey over a one hour flight like oh, okay I'm gonna you know I'm gonna pick and choose my journeys and, and stuff so yeah <laughs> And I, I mix it up all the time, even still. Sometimes it's hostile. Sometimes it's these mid-range things. Yeah. Hey, if I can get into a luxury thing, I'm going for it. I'm not against going to a luxury yeah, hotel and use some points. Yeah, it's totally. I think for a while with the magazine, I was kind of like, oh, it's backpacker. And what, what will that say about me if I want to stay I in a nicer place? And it's right. like, well, so what? Backpacker can mean anything. It's like, you know, I pick and choose it here and do this. And then, yeah. So yeah. I think I'm not so ashamed of wanting a bit of, flash packing every now and again. Right. Don't worry about ruining your street cred because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> oh, that, that's right? way gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the top experiences not to be missed? And 
it can be the common ones or maybe ones that people haven't heard of, or we can keep that as a separate thing. But um, I think of some magical things that have come to mind from my personal travels. And I would like to hear this through that lens for you. What were some of the things that you've experienced that you would say, hey, this is something if you can in your lifetime, you should see it or do it or be there for it. Okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's another tough one, giving sort of a bucket list experiences. Um, I would say in, in Southeast Asia, definitely diving or, snor- or if you can't do diving for some reason or you don't, or you don't want to do it, um, snorkeling, like sort of, uh, you know, that's a completely different level of sea in Southeast Asia. It's a completely different world. Um, I think we, we did it recently in Koh Lanta, um, which isn't the most famous place for diving, uh, but it was really, it was really amazing. We saw octopus and um, sea snakes, and my, it was my boyfriend's first time. Um, and on the same trip, my mum came out to visit us, and she's like terrified of putting her head underwater as she says it. And we took her snorkeling, and she just like put the mask on and looked underwater. And I was like, just, just put your head under, mum. Just see. And the minute she sort of saw what it was, she's. Oh! that's great she still kind of had her hand on the boat but she was like okay i see the purpose of this yeah nice (laughs) Um, that's cool what a cool experience to to have with uh with your mom yeah 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 she was terrified at the beginning she she hated me for making her do it and then i was like no no come on mom there'll be a purpose (laughs) yeah that's great um, so that would be one, uh, seeing the underwater world. Um, you met, mentioned about uh, motorbikes being dangerous, but I have had the best experiences just yeah. hiring a bike and, and getting off. Into that was just a fair warning to people. That doesn't mean don't do it. Yeah, it definitely comes with a disclaimer, like, you know, wear a helmet and just be safe drive. doing it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I think that that ability to get off the beaten track and have your own wheels is is definitely some of the best experiences I've had and finding yourself in these little villages. And I remember one trip in, in Northern Thailand, we tried to do this loop um, where we sort of went from Changdao and then tried to go to Pai. Um, we were like looking at the map and there was like this dirt track that kind of like went across the countryside and it was like, okay, we're going to do this. It's like, started off on the dirt track and it's like <laughs> the bike sliding everywhere. Then like, don't think we can do this starts to rain and we're sort of stranded and then this hill tribe family pulls up in the pickup truck, sees us all kind of like huddling under this bamboo shelter. And then it's like, come with us, get in the back and we'll take you, take you to a hotel, like all in Thai. And then they pulled us up at this kind of, it was like a cowboy ranch in the middle of nowhere where they had like cowboy Western kind of, uh, you know, Dolly Parton sort of music playing. And we were all like, this is in the middle of nowhere in Northeast. Northeast you would Thai. never be there if you didn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, so we had this experience with these kind of like, you know, locals where we drink down in whiskey in this random bar. Like, what the hell? But these these crazy experiences, yeah, they don't really happen unless you sort of get get off a little bit. So, yeah, getting off the beaten track on a bike. Yeah, and, bi- and bicycle for that matter. I've had bicycle, some great things yeah. on, on bicycles. If you don't feel comfortable with the motor thing, get on a bicycle. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What about um, so, yeah, some of the big sites or festivals or anything like that? Okay, yeah, so festivals, cool one. Um, yes, like Songkran Festival in Thailand is once in a lifetime experience. Like the water festival. So every April, it's the Thai New Year, and they, the whole country just turns into an enormous water fight. 
So everyone will take water pistols out onto the street. And it's, yeah, it's just as crazy as you imagine. It's like, if, if you want to live a normal life during this week of Songkran, forget it. You can't. You're going to have some little kids completely throwing a bucket of water over your head. And so that's a, that's, that's a fun one. Um, the Loi Kratong Festival in Thailand as well, the Lantern Festival in November, one of the most beautiful sights I've seen, all the lanterns in the sky. Um, and then in terms of sights, uh, I think Bagan in Myanmar has got to be got to be up there. Um, the, the, the landscape, um, like over 3,000 temples in a quite a small area. And you can't really understand the, well, the breadth of the area until you sort of get up. And it's just been banned recently, temple climbing, because they had these sort of, you know, thousand year old temples that you could just climb up and backpackers were just climbing up and there was no sort of safety barriers or, or anything, no kind of protection of the monuments. You'd think, you know, in Europe, these monuments would be completely off limits. You wouldn't be able to go there, but you could just kind of clamber up and then look out over this landscape. It's just yeah, pretty incredible. So now they've built these sort of mounds where you can go and climb up and look at the landscape. But we didn't find it so spectacular until we left. Ah, okay. This is, this is what the gun's all about. Um, so that's an amazing one. Um, uh, Halong Bay in in North Vietnam is definitely amazing. Um, and then must-see sites, are, you know, the obvious ones, there's Angkor Wat as well. And, you know, Angkor Wat being a very, you know, it's most people go to Cambodia just for Angkor Wat. But there's still, it's so big that you can still, you know, find these little temples. You can be on your own. There's millions of people visit each year, but that you can still get you know, get that experience of like finding it yourself. There's actually a wall that runs all around the, the temple complex called um, the Anchor Tom Wall. And some, uh, it was like an older traveler who wrote to us about this recently, and he's written an article on the website. It's like hardly anyone knows about this. Not many people do it, but there's a whole day walk that you can just do around the, the temple complex and go in over these ancient, you know, passageways and stuff. And it's got a lot of history. So there's still things to be found in the most touristy of places. It's really, really interesting. So I would say, you know, don't miss these big sites, but maybe find a different way of doing it, perhaps. Yeah, I love that. And uh, as you were mentioning that list, because I've been to some of those things and places, it's just a flood of awesome memories. You know, yeah, getting yeah. it warms my heart. It's just such a beautiful area of the world and so many beautiful people. I never ask people what their favorite country is because it's a whack question. But I'm getting the sense that you're, Thailand's pretty near and dear to your heart. It sounds like it's a place you've spent a lot of time Um yeah, I think I know Thailand the most. I've learned a bit of the language there. And because my business was based there, I feel like that that's, that's one of the things. It's kind of, I think when you can get under, you can learn a bit more about the culture and you do, you feel more familiar there. I feel more comfortable. Like we land in, we land in Bangkok and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm home. But it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm not home, but it's one of my homes. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it feels, I definitely feel like I, I've got under the skin of Thailand more than the other countries perhaps. Um, but yeah, you mentioned getting off the banana pancake trail, taking a motorbike out wherever, having these random adventures, mm -hmm. bicycles. I've definitely found that to be true. Just going a little bit further than where everybody else is and landing in a place where yeah, even it, on foot, you right. can even walk, you know, on Bangkok, get lost in the back streets on foot is, is great. So many great things to do. And I, I just wonder if there's anything else that you want to share in terms of places to see or things to do that are 
either up and coming or not as established, but places that you've been that are that you think, hey, I, you know, the secret's going to get out on this place at some point because this is just starting to get on on the map of the banana pancake trail. Say, or it's a little bit more off the beaten path. Do you do you have one or two places you can share that come to mind? Um, we We're not going to try to ruin those places for anybody. We don't want to spoil <laughs> it, but this is like, are you going to draw me a map and slide it under my door and yeah. then you have to swim? To- <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. People, people get, can get quite angry, actually. We had a girl who wrote um, an article about, uh, there was an island, island in Cambodia. It's quite well known now, Koh Rong. And she wrote about it a few years ago, like um, kind of an untouched paradise for backpackers. And uh, she wrote a guest post for the for the website, and then I heard from uh, I heard from her like a year later saying that she got really attacked for the article because people were like, "Don't don't get the word out about this, like shush, like don't tell people." And it's this there is a thing about you know I, I remember speaking to um, Joe Cummings, who's the guy who wrote the first one of the first Lonely Planets to Southeast Asia about this. Like, did he ever feel guilty about revealing these places that then became you know mass tourism spots? But it's it's kind of like people people are going to go there if the the facilities are there anyway. So it's like if you've got a gorgeous paradise island, but there's absolutely nothing there. There's no bar. There's no hostel. There's no hotel. Like people, it, it needs the resources and people to come in for there to be a reason that backpackers hang around. And it's not just the fault of the backpacker for telling their mates about it that it gets ruined. And you know, then it's the the authorities and the investment companies that need to protect. The, the area. Um, but anyway, I've gone way off track. Places, <laughs> places in Southeast Asia. Uh, we spent um, three weeks on our last trip in Mae Hong Son in the north of Thailand. So everybody goes to Chiang Mai, they get the bus to Pai, and then they go back to Chiang Mai. But if you carry on sort of three hours further towards the Burmese border, beautiful little town, um, Mae Hong Son, based on a little lake, um, and just the scenery and the mountains around there are just really beautiful. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, again, will, will it become a sort of hot spot on the backpack on the banana pancake trail? There's, you know, there's a few, there's a night market, there's a few little restaurants and bars at the moment. It's kind of a subtle, a few Westerners make it there and then kind of go back. Um, but yeah, I hope it does. I hope that doesn't change too much. Like yeah. going back, Going back this time. Now I'm starting to feel guilty. I don't want to ruin this place for people. <laughs> yeah, wanna. Jason. But that sounds like my kind of town. I like the sound of yeah, that. Yeah, sort of a little, you know, a little bit. You can find a pizza somewhere if you want in the back streets, but it's not, you know, it's like, um, yeah, pretty local feel everywhere. Um, and then recently we also spent six months in Koh Lanta. I mentioned where I went diving. So Koh Lanta is interesting because kind of the island itself, it's made up of two Koh Lanta Yai, which means big, and Koh Lanta Noi, small. Um, and the biggest island has got you know lots of dive schools and hostels and hotels on. But the smaller island, which we hired a motorbike and went to explore, like not one hotel there's nothing there and like beautiful beaches little fishing villages and sort of not that far at all from from Kolanta Yai and it's amazing you kind of take the bike and you go traveling around and you maybe see three other westerners doing that but not many people you think there's hundreds and thousands on this little bit but they don't don't go up to this bit um so yeah, that that was a Colantanoi could become in the future something that's you know starts to get a few more backpackers. Um, so yeah, yeah, those are two great ones. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you for sharing. For now, yeah. <laughs>
What is it about, I know each country has its own culture, but what is it about the culture in some of these countries that, that you appreciate the most? Um, I think the, the safety, like it's, it's in, incredibly safe and, um, you know, people I've, I've seen like on Koh Lanta, you see fishermen going out, leaving their motorbike with their key in and then they're off in the sea. They don't even look at their bike. Someone could literally just come past and take their bike. But there's kind of a respect for other people's belongings in a way that they don't do that. And, you know, like people say, older people in England say, oh, we used to leave the front door of the house open and no one would steal anything. It really still is like that in lots of parts of Thailand. Like people don't, don't, it, there isn't a crime issue. Another example, like the willingness to, to get things done and to help people and to, to sort issues out. So we, we had a recent experience here in just, uh, we've just moved back to Spain. We're going to be here for, for a year. And we, uh, I, I lost the lock to the, I lost the key to the front door and we couldn't get back in. So we'd been out and then on a Saturday night, we couldn't get back in the door. And we had to call someone on a Saturday night to come and sort the lock out. And it was a big headache. And it ended up costing like 300 euro. And we both just looked at each other and were like, can you imagine this situation in Thailand? Like in Thailand, it just would have been the most, it would have cost you a few dollars. Someone would sort. And you just think of the ease with which these things happen in Asia and and (laughs) compared to Europe. It's like, I remember getting a flat tire on the motorbike in in Thailand and going, oh no, started clunking. Within about 30 seconds, there's like a man with a bit of music on his bike, turns up with some spare tires and fixes it. I'm like, what are the chances? Like, it? <laughs> just, things are just so incredibly convenient sometimes in Asia. Like it just, it's people just sort of, yeah, I'll fix that. I'll do that. And it's, it's a kind of really cool, friendly attitude. <laughs> yes. Friendly is definitely a key word there. And something about yeah. the people, they just radiate some kind of peaceful friendliness with their energy. I don't know what it is. It's like but it's a, just... a living in the moment thing as well. I think like, a, you know, not worrying too much about, I think in the West, we're worried about saving money for the future and worrying about what's, you know, what's going to happen next year. And I think in, in Asia, there's definitely a sense of like living for today um, that I think we could definitely learn a lot from. You know, you can embrace an Eastern philosophy, which is something I like to do in my personal life, but you can only embrace it through a Western mind, right? I always wonder like, what is it? What is the, it like when you, if you grow up somewhere else or in another culture? How do you think differently? You know, you can never know. You can only know what yeah. your experience is and you can try to incorporate things in your life that feel good. But you can never know what it's like to grow up in another culture because we each have our own unique stories, which is what makes the, the world a beautiful place, I guess. <laughs> uh, one of the many things. Um, thank you so much for everything you've shared today. Uh, before I let you go, I have to ask you, what is, what is the deal with Spain? Why did you guys end up going there for a year? So we're going to have to have another podcast on that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we, yeah, we kind of traveled in Asia. I've traveled in South America. I kind of feel, um, yeah, Europe's a good place to have a base for us both now, just to be closer to parents and kind of thing. Um, and yeah, Spain is wonderful country. I'm learning Spanish at the moment, uh, which is a challenge. Um, but yeah, Spain is a great lifestyle. People really know how to enjoy themselves here and sort of have that work life balance, which I don't feel like we have as much in the UK. So it's a, it's a good close enough to England, but close enough to family and friends, but still kind of feel like I've got a bit of a travel, travel lifestyle here. So, and yeah, we, 
uh, we were in Barcelona and then we're in Granada for this year. So those two places are some good, good cities to check out if you're thinking of going to Europe. And it's also good that the locksmiths there know how to rip you off too. That's great. <laughs> well, there, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's Don't great. Don't lose well, your key. <laughs> <laughs> do not lose your key. Thank you so much for all the advice today. And of course, we mentioned it a couple times. SoutheastAsiaBackpacker.com is the website. And we'll link up to that so you can get more info if you're taking a trip there. And if you haven't gone there traveling, you got to go. It's high time. So get there when you can. <laughs> that's all I'll say. For sure. That's I think, I think after listening to this podcast, you're probably going to be fired up to go and do that anyway, if you haven't. So I hope you make it up to Norway sometime, Nikki. If you yeah, do, you yeah, let me know. And if I enough. make it down south, I'll let you know. I hope we can cross paths and maybe we can have another chat in person at some point. But thank when you the so weather warms up a little bit, yeah? When the weather warms <laughs> up a little. Or I'll come down to you. Thank you so much for your time. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Right. We'll nice chat to talk soon. to you. All right. Bye-bye. Cheers. <laughs> There you have it. I want to thank Nikki for stopping by the show. I had a blast chatting with her. I got so many people I want to meet in real life. <laughs> I love talking to all these different people, such a variety of perspectives and experiences. I just want to soak it all up like a sponge because I know I can't have every travel experience and I certainly have the way that I think, but when I get to hear how other people look at things, it just opens up my mind that much more. And it's just a constant process to open up your mind to the world and how it can be and all the different people in it and how it can shape you and how travel can shape you. Endlessly fascinating stuff. I'm still on this journey with you through this Zero to Travel podcast. I'm honored to host this show. This is your show. It's a community-powered show. Thank you for being a part of this community. And I want to give a shout out to somebody because I love sharing stories from the community. It's actually a couple. First, quickly want to thank Pimsler for supporting today's show. Pimsler Language Learning Audio Courses, zerototravel.com slash easy. You've heard me mention it on the show before. It's a new year. If you want to learn a language, if you want to enhance your travel experience, if you want to be able to learn on the go while you're traveling around and just listen and learn just like you do with podcasts, then Pimsleur is the way to go. Level up your current language or start learning a new language for a trip you have coming up. It's such an exciting thing to do. It's really changed my life. Getting to speak a foreign language really connects you to a place in a way that you can't be connected to it unless you're hanging out and, and speaking some of that local language and meeting people and conversing with them. And it just helps to even know a few words or phrases just to open up opportunities to meet locals and things like that. It's just a great thing to do. So zero to travel.com slash easy. If you've been wanting to speak a new language, speak a new language at an intermediate level in just 30 days with the Pimsleur courses, you can listen and learn on the go and you can learn to speak a language, not just study it. It's an awesome way to do it. Zero to travel.com slash easy. Thanks to them for supporting today's show and kudos to you for taking a step towards your goal. If you decide to check it out. And if you do stay on with the paid trial membership, you'll also be supporting my show because I'm an affiliate partner with them because I'm a big fan and I wanted to bring this special offer to you. So thanks all around to everybody. Now, before I let you go, let me share a couple of my favorite things, my favorite moments, I should say, from traveling through Southeast Asia. I've had the good fortune to visit that area of the world, spend time in 
Cambodia and Vietnam and Thailand and plenty more I want to see over there. And one of the first travel experiences I had within, I think, the first 24 hours that I was there the very first time, I was in Bangkok. This was, gosh, I don't know, 15, 17 years ago. And if, if you listen to this show, you know I'm terrible with exact years. But anyway, it was a while ago. And I was wandering around the city and wandering past a temple. And I just kind of stopped and was admiring it and made eye contact with a monk there. And he sort of waved me in. So I just went in and we ended up just hanging out. He wanted to practice his English and I wanted to learn about what life was like as a monk living in Bangkok, Thailand. So we got to have this beautiful cultural exchange. Can't remember how long we hung out for. might have been about an hour or something. But needless to say, it made an immediate impression on me just the fact that somebody wanted to connect with me, a stranger, in that moment, just visiting there for the first time, and how warm the people are there, and just how friendly and open to this cultural exchange. It really just made a huge impact on me right away and set the tone for my entire trip and getting more confidence in just getting connected with people there and just meeting them and having these interactions. I mean, an interaction like that beats any visit to whatever site you want to see. I love to see the sites, of course. Like any traveler, it's great to go see things and do things but it's also great to just wander the streets and leave yourself open to having these types of opportunities another time in vietnam and i've told this story on the podcast before my wife and i were biking by this family barbecue i guess Uh, we didn't even know we thought maybe it was a place to eat we were kind of looking for food and they made eye contact with us and we were making eye contact with them. And again, they just kind of waved us over. And the next thing you know, we were sitting at a barbecue with this family and they were letting us taste all of these local dishes they made and telling us about them with the few English words that they knew. And uh, that was another just incredible moment. And then on the site side, seeing these ancient ruins like Angkor Wat or the ancient city of Sukhothai and getting to ride a bike through those areas and explore them by bike. And I've really found that the more you slow down between the sites as you're seeing sites and doing things, but really being intentional with slowing down during those in-between times really gives you the space to have magical connections. I can think of another uh, time just walking around uh, Hanoi, meeting some Vietnamese students that wanted to practice their English and just having trust. Hey, these guys aren't out to scam me. I'm getting good vibes. We're just going to sit down and chat. And we did. And then they ended up taking me to a local uh, pho stand somewhere that I never would have found on my own. And I got to have lunch with them. These types of things happen in Southeast Asia, these magical moments. And it's just such a, I don't have the adjectives to describe what the travel's like there. If you haven't gone go. If you have gone, you already know, and you probably want to go back like I do and explore more. So 
there you go. I just wanted to share a few of my favorite memories from travel around Southeast Asia. And now I also want to leave you with a quote. And why not give you something from a Vietnamese monk, a spiritual leader, Thich Nhat Han? He said, our true home is in the present moment. Once we touch the deep, infinite peace that resides there, we will be healed and transformed. It is not a matter of faith. It is a matter of practice. Get practicing. I'm going to get practicing as well. Leave you with those thoughts. And one last thing I almost forgot, a shout out to my friends and listeners of this show, Kane and Kendall Simmons. They checked in. They said, hey, Jason, we absolutely love your podcast. We're huge travelers and have been to 26 countries between the two of us. We gained so much valuable info as well as lots of laughs listening to your podcast. (laughs) Thanks for that. This isn't a comedy podcast, but I can try here and there. They go on to say, the short version is we are taking ourselves and our businesses abroad. We've been working on this for two years now and we'll make the leap next month, they said, as the time of this recording. Our first month will be in Porto, Portugal. I want to just say congrats to them and all the stuff they have going on and thanks for listening to this show. And hey, maybe you're going to add Southeast Asia to the list now. I'm sure you're going to hit there at some point. Thanks again for listening, my friend, my friends. All of you mean so much to me, and I put this show together each and every week for you, and thank you so much for being a part of this beautiful little corner of the podcast world. Until next time, have a wonderful day. Smile. Take a chance today. Tell somebody you love that you love them. If you haven't, I don't know. Do something. Do something out of the ordinary. If not now, then when? All right. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.